If you're enjoying Send Me to Sleep, make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. Also, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All of this really helps the show reach new listeners. And you never know, your review may convince someone to listen and lead them to a good night's rest, which I hope you all agree is worth sharing. Thanks so much for your listenership and support. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading five more bedtime stories from The Sandman's Hour by Abby Phillips Walker. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Story 1 The Pink and Blue Eggs I tell you I saw them with my own eyes, said old white hen, standing on one foot with her neck outstretched and her bill wide open. One pink and the other blue. They were just like any other egg as far as size, but colour, think of it, pink and blue eggs. Whoever could have laid them? Old white hen looked from one to the other of the group of hens and chickens as they stood around her. Well... I know that I didn't, said Speckled Hen. You needn't look at me, said Brown Hen. I lay large white eggs, and you know it, every one of you. They are the best eggs in the yard, if I do say it. Oh, I would not say that said White Hen. You seem to forget that the largest egg ever seen in this yard was laid by me, and it was a little on the brown colour. White eggs are all well enough, but give me a brown tone for quality. You never laid such a large egg as that but once, replied Brown Hen, and everybody thought it was a freak egg, so the least said about it, the better, it seems to me. It is plain to understand how you feel about that egg, said White Hen, but it does not help us to find out who laid the blue and pink eggs. Where did you see them? asked Speckled Hen. On the table, by the window of the farmhouse, said Old White Hen. I flew up on a barrel that stood under the window, and then stretched my neck and looked in the window. And there on the table, in a little basket, I saw those strange-looking eggs. Perhaps the master had bought them for some one of us to sit on and hatch out, said Brown Hen. Well, I, for one, refuse to do it, said White Hen. I think it would be an insult to put those gaudy things into our nests. I am sure I will not hatch them, said Speckled Hen. I would look funny hiking around here 
with a blue chick and a pink chick beside me, and I a speckled hen. No, I will not mother fancy-coloured chicks. The master can find another hen to do that. You do not think for a minute that I would do such a thing, I hope, said Brown Hen. I only mentioned the fact that the master might have such an idea. But as for mixing up colours, I guess not. My little yellow darlings shall not be disgraced by a blue and a pink chick running with them. Perhaps white hen is colour blind, said speckled hen. The eggs she saw may be white after all. If you doubt my word or my sight, go and look for yourselves, said White Hen, holding her head high. You will find a blue and a pink egg, just as I told you. Off ran Speckled Hen and Brown Hen, followed by many others and all the chicks in the yard. One after another, they flew to the top of the barrel and looked in the window at the eggs White Hen had told them of. It was all too true. The eggs were blue and pink. Peep, 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 peep. We want to see the blue and pink Eggs too, cried the chickens. We never saw any, and we want to look at them. Oh dear, why did I talk before them, said Brown Hen. They will not be quiet unless they see, and how in the world shall I get them up to that window? Did it ever occur to you not to give them everything they cry for, said White Hen. Say no once in a while, it will save you a lot of trouble. I cannot bear to deny the little darlings anything, said Brown Hen, clucking her little brood and trying to quiet them. Well, you better begin now, for this is one of the things you will not be able to do, said White Hen, strutting over to the doghouse to tell the story of the blue and pink eggs to Toaster. Wouldn't it be just too awful if the master puts those eggs in one of our nests? Asked White Hen when she had finished her story. Oh, oh, laughed Tosa. That is a good joke on you. Don't know your own eggs when you see them. Don't. Tell me I laid those fancy-coloured eggs, said White Hen, looking around to see if any of her companions were within hearing distance. I know I never did. But you did, said Tosa, laughing again. I heard the master say it to my little mistress, If you want eggs to colour for Easter, take the ones that White Hen laid. They are not so large as the others, and I cannot sell them so well. Tosa, if you will never mention what you have just told me, I will tell you where I saw a great big bone this morning said White Hen. 
I was saving it for myself. I like to pick up one once in a while, but you shall have it if you promise to keep secret what you just told me. Tosa promised, and White Hen showed where it was hidden. A few days after, Brown Hen said, I wonder when Master is going to bring out those fancy eggs. If he leaves them in the house much longer, no one will be able to hatch them. Oh, I forgot to tell you that those eggs were not real eggs after all, said White Hen but only Easter eggs for the master's little girl to play with, so we had all our worry for nothing. Tosa told me, but don't say a word to him, for I did not let on that we were worried and didn't know they were only make-believe eggs. He thinks he is so wise, you know. It would never do to let him know how we were fooled. Story 2 Why the Morning Glory Sleeps One day the flowers got into a very angry discussion over the sun, of whom they were very fond Surely you all must know that he loves me best, said the rose. He shines upon me and makes me sweeter than any of you, and he gives me the colours that are most admired by man. I do not see how you can say that, said the dahlia. You may give forth more fragrance than I can, but you cannot think for a second that you are more beautiful. Why, my colours are richer than yours and last much longer. The sun certainly loves me best. The modest lily looked at the dahlia and said, in a low, sweet voice. I do not wish to be bold, but I feel that the sun loves me and that I should let you know that he gives me more fragrance than any of you. Oh, oh, here Lily, said the others in chorus. She thinks the king of day loves her best. The lily hung her head and said no more, for the other flowers quite frightened her with their taunts. How can any of you think you are the best beloved of the sun? said Golden Glow. When you behold my glowing colour which the sun bestows on me, do any of you look so much like him as I do? No, indeed, he loves me best. The hollyhock looked down on the others with pitying glances. It is plain to be seen that you have never noticed that the sun shines on me with more warmth than on you, and now I must tell you, he loves me best and gives me the tenderest of smiles. See how tall I am and how gorgeous are my colours, he loves me best. When it comes to sweetness, I am sure you have forgotten me, said the honeysuckle. Why, 
The king of day loves me best, you may be sure. He makes me give forth more sweetness than any of you. You may be very sweet, said the pansy, but surely you know that my pet name is Heart's Ease and that the sun loves me best. To none of you does he give such velvet beauty as to me. I am nearest his heart and his best beloved. The morning glory listened to all this with envy in her heart. She did not give forth sweetness as many of the others. Neither did she possess the beauty of the rose or the pansy. If only I could get him to notice me, she thought. I am dainty and frail, and I am sure he would admire me if only he could behold me. But the others are always here and in such glowing colours that poor little me is overshadowed by their beauty. All day morning glory thought of the sun and wondered how she could attract his attention to herself. And at night she smiled, for she had thought of a plan. She would get up early in the morning and greet him before the other flowers were awake. She went to bed early that night so that she might not oversleep in the morning, and when the first streak of dawn showed in the sky, morning glory opened her eyes and shook out her delicate folds. The dew was on her and she turned her face towards the sun. As soon as she peeped into the garden, the sun beheld her. How dainty and lovely you are, he said. I have never noticed before the beauty of your colours, morning glory, and he let his warm glances fall and linger upon her. The sunflower all this time was watching with jealous eyes, for she was the one who had always welcomed the sun, and this morning he seemed to have entirely forgotten her. Still sunflower kept her gaze upon them, and wondered what she could do to win back her king from the delicate little morning glory. But as she looked, she saw the morning glory sway and nod her head. She is going to sleep, said the sunflower. His warm breath makes her drowsy or else she was up so early that she cannot keep awake. While the sunflower watched, sure enough the morning glory nodded and closed her eyes. She was fast asleep, and the fickle sun, seeing that she no longer looked upon him, looked away and beheld the sunflower looking towards him with longing eyes. Good morning, king, she said as she caught his eye, and she was wise enough not to let him know she had seen him before. So the sun smiled and turned his face upon them all and the sunflower kept to herself what she had seen, knowing full well that she was the one who knew best 
how to keep his first and last glances. A little later, one of the flowers called out, Look at morning glory, she is still sleeping. Let us tell her it is time to awaken. Morning glory, morning glory, they called, but she did not answer. She was sound asleep. That is strange, said the rose. I wonder if she has gone to sleep, never to awake. I have heard such things happening. After two or three mornings, the other flowers ceased to notice morning glory, for they thought she had ceased to be one of them. But the wise sunflower kept her own counsel. She knew that the morning glory had to sleep all day in order that she might not miss the sun. But, as I told you, she was wise enough not to complain, and she kept his love for her by so doing. Story 3 Dorothy and the Portrait Dorothy was very fond of her grandmother and grandfather, and liked to visit them, but there were no little girls to play with, and sometimes she was lonely for someone her own age. She would wander about the house, looking for the queer things that grandmothers always have in their homes. The hall clock interested Dorothy very much. It stood on the landing at the top of the stairs, and she used to sit and listen to its queer tick-tock and watch the hands which moved with little nervous jumps. Then there were on its face the stars and the moon and the sun, and they all were very wonderful to Dorothy. One day she went into the big parlour, where there were pictures of her grandfather and grandmother, and her great-grandfather and great-grandmother also. Dorothy thought the greats looked very sedate, and she felt sure that they must have been very old to have been the parents of her grandfather. But the picture that interested her the most was a large painting of three children, one a little girl about her own age, and one other older, and a boy who wore queer-looking trousers cut off below the knee. His suit was of a black velvet, and he wore white stockings and black shoes. The little girls were dressed in white, and their dresses had short sleeves and low necks. The older girl had black hair, but the one that Dorothy thought was her age had long, golden curls like hers. Only the girl in the picture wore her hair parted and the curls hung all about her face. Dorothy climbed into a big chair and sat looking at them. I wish they could play with me, she thought, and she smiled at the little golden-haired girl. And then, wonderful to tell, the girl in the picture smiled at Dorothy, 
Oh, are you alive? asked Dorothy. Of course I am, the little girl replied. I will come down if you would like to have me and visit with you. Oh, I should be so glad to have you, Dorothy answered. Then the boy stepped to the edge of the frame, and from there to the top of a big chair which stood under the picture, and stood in the chair seat. He held out his hand to the little girls, and helped them to the floor in the most courtly manner. Dorothy got out of her chair and asked them to be seated, and the boy placed chairs for them beside her. What is your name? asked the golden-haired girl, for she was the only one who spoke. That was my name, she said when Dorothy told her. I lived in this house, she continued, and we used to have such good games. This is my sister and my brother. The little girl and boy smiled, but they let their sister do all the talking. We used to roast chestnuts in the fireplace, she said. And once we had a party in this room, and played all sorts of games. Dorothy could not imagine that quiet room filled with children. Do you remember how we frightened poor old Uncle Zack in this room? She said to her brother and sister, and then they all laughed. Do tell me about it, said Dorothy. These glass doors by the fireplace did not have curtains in our day, said the little girl. And there were shells and other things from the ocean in one cupboard. And in the other, there was a sword and a helmet and a pair of gauntlets. My brother wrapped a sheet around him, and put on the helmet and the gauntlets, and, taking the sword in his hand, he climbed into the cupboard and sat down. We girls closed the doors and hid behind the sofa. Uncle Zack came in to fix the fire, and my brother beckoned to him. Poor Zack dropped the wood he was carrying and fell on his knees, trembling with fright. The door was not fastened, and my brother pushed it open and pointed the sword at poor Uncle Zack. Don't hurt a poor old man, said Zack very faintly. I ain't got nothing, deed I ain't. You told about the jam the children ate, said my brother in a deep voice, and you know you drank the last drop of rum Mummy Sue had for her rheumatism, and for this you must be punished and he brought the sword down on the floor of the cupboard with a bang. Poor Uncle Zack fell on his face with fright. This was too much for my sister and me, and we laughed out loud. You never saw anyone change so quickly as Uncle Zack. He jumped up and we ran but my brother had to get out of his disguise, and Uncle Zack caught him. He agreed not to tell our father if we did not tell about his fright, and so we escaped being punished. 
Tell me more about your life in this old house, said Dorothy, when the little girl finished her story. But just then the picture of Dorothy's great-grandmother moved, and out she stepped from her frame. She walked with a very stately air towards the children, and put her hand on the shoulder of the little girl who had been telling the story, and said, You better go back to your frame now. Oh dear, said the little girl, I did so dislike being grown up, and I had forgotten all about it, when my grown-up self reminds me. That is the trouble when you are in the room with your grown-up picture, she told Dorothy. You see, I had to be so sedate after I married that I never even dared to think of my girlhood. But you come in here again some day, and I will tell you more about the good times we had. The boy mounted the chair first, and helped his sisters back into the frame. Dorothy looked for her great-grandmother, but she, too, was back in her frame, looking as sedate as ever. The next day, Dorothy asked her grandmother who the children were in the big picture. This one, she said, pointing to the little golden-haired girl, was your great-grandmother. You were named for her, and the other little girl and boy were your great-grandfather's aunt and uncle. They were your great-great-aunt and uncle. Dorothy did not quite understand the great-great part of it, but she was glad to know that her stately-looking great-grandmother had once been a little girl like her, and someday, when the great-grandmother's picture is not looking, she expects to hear more about the fun the children had in the days long ago. Story 4 Mistress Pussy's Mistake A very kind gentleman who lived in a big house which was in the midst of a beautiful park had a handsome cat of which he was very fond. While he felt sure Pussy was fond of him, he knew very well she would hurt the birds, so he put a pretty ribbon around Pussy's neck, and on it a little silver bell which tinkled whenever she moved, and this warned the birds that she was near. Pussy resented this, but pretended she did not care. One day a thrush was singing very sweetly on the bough of a tree which overhung a small lake. Pussy walked along under the tree, and, looking up at the thrush, said, Madam Thrush, You have a most beautiful voice, and you are a very handsome bird. I do wish I were nearer to you, for I am not so young as I was once, and I cannot hear so well. The thrush trilled a laugh at Pussy and said, Yes, Miss Puss. I can well believe you wish me nearer, but not to see or hear me better, but that 
you might grasp me. Pussy pretended not to hear the last remark, but said, Beautiful thrush, will you not come down where I can hear you better? I cannot get about as nimbly as I used to when I was young, or I would go to you. I cannot sing so well on the ground, replied the thrush. You can come up here, even if you are not so spry as you were. But tell me, do you not find the bell you wear very trying to your nerves? Oh no, answered sly pussy. It is so pretty that I'm glad to wear it, and my master thinks I'm so handsome that he likes to see me dressed well, and then he can always find me when he hears the bell. That is why I wear it. I understand, answered the thrush, and we birds are always glad to hear it too. And she trilled another laugh at Pussy and added, You are certainly a very handsome creature, Miss Puss. Pussy all this time had very slowly climbed the tree, for she wanted the thrush to think she was old and slow, but the bird had her bright eyes upon her. When Pussy reached the branch the thrush was on, she stopped and seated herself. Now, my pretty little friend, do sing to me your loudest song. She hoped it would be loud enough to drown the tinkle of the bell. The thrush began and was soon singing very sweetly. Pussy took a very cautious step and then remained quiet. The thrush stopped singing and spread her wings. Oh, do not stop, said Puss. Your song was so soothing I was in a doze. Do sing again. And she moved a little closer. The thrush took a step nearer to the end of the bow and said, I am glad you like my voice. I will sing again if it pleases you so much. She began her song, but she kept her eyes on Puss, and as Puss drew nearer, she moved closer to the end of the swinging bow. She had reached a very high note when Puss gave a spring, but the thrush was too quick. She flew out of Pussy's reach and went splash Pussy into the lake, for she had not noticed that the thrush was moving to the end of the bow. So intent was she on the thought of catching her. Poor Pussy was very wet when she scrambled to the bank of the lake, and the birds were chirping and making a great noise. How did you like your bath, Miss Puss? The thrush called to her. You should never lay traps for others, for often you fall into them yourself. Story 5 Kid Kid was one of those little boys who seemed to have grown up on the streets of the big city where he lived. He never remembered a mother or a father, and no one ever took care of him. His first remembrance was of an old woman who gave him a crust of bread. He slept 
in the corner of her room. One day they carried her away, and since then, Kid had slept in a doorway or an alley. By selling papers he managed to get enough to eat, and if he did not have the money, he stole to satisfy his hunger. He was often cold and hungry, but he saw many other children that were in the same condition, and he did not suppose that anyone had ever enough to eat or a warm place to sleep every night. Kid went into the Salvation Army meetings when they held them in his neighborhood, but it was a place where the wind did not blow, and while there he heard them sing and talk about someone who loved everybody and would help you if you would ask him. Kid was never able to find out just where this person lived, and therefore he could not ask for help. One day, Kid saw a lady who was too well dressed to belong in his part of the city, and he followed her, thinking that she might have a pocket book he could take. The opportunity did not offer itself, however, and before Kid realized it, he was in a part of the city he had never seen before. The buildings were tall, and the streets much cleaner than where he lived. Kid walked along, looking in windows of the stores, when he noticed a lady standing beside him with a jeweled watch hanging from her belt. He had never seen anything so beautiful or easy to take and he waited for a few more people to gather around the window, and then he carefully reached for the watch, and with one pull, off came the trinket, and away ran Kid, like a deer, with the watch clasped firmly in his begrimed little hands. On and on he ran, not knowing where he was going, nor caring for that matter, and it seemed to Kid that the whole world was crying, Stop, thief, and was chasing him. After a while, the noise grew fainter and fainter, and he stopped and looked back. There was not a person in sight. Kid looked around him. All the houses were large with clean stone steps in front of them. Kid sat down on the bottom step of one of these houses and looked at his treasure. He held it to his ear and heard its soft tick. Then he looked at the sparkling stones on the case. He opened it and watched the little hands move. Then he opened the back part, and there was the picture of a baby, a little boy, Kid thought. Around its chubby face were curls, and its eyes were large and earnest-looking. Kid sat gazing at it for some minutes, wondering who it was, When he looked up, he saw a large building across the street with a steeple on it, and on top was a cross. The door of the building was open, and after a while, Kit walked across the street and up the long, wide steps. He went in and looked cautiously about. It was still and no one was to be seen. There were two doors, and Kid went to one of them and pushed it open 
he thought for a minute he was dreaming, for he did not suppose that anything so grand could be real. There were rows and rows of seats, and at the very end of the big room, Kid saw a light. He walked down one of the aisles to where the little flame was burning, and stood in front of the altar. The kid looked at everything with a feeling of awe, but he had not the slightest idea of what it all meant, and he wondered who lived in this beautiful house, and thought it strange that no one appeared and told him to go out. There were pictures on the wall, and Kid came to one of a sweet-faced lady who was holding a little child. Kid started and stepped back as he looked at it. It is the baby in the watch, he said. This must be where he lives, and that is his mother. Someone was coming. He was caught at last. He felt sure. He slid into a pew and crawled under the seat and kept very still, so still, in fact, that he fell asleep. And its rays fell across the picture of the mother and child in such a way that the eyes of the mother seemed to look straight at Kid under the seat. For the first time in his life, he felt like crying. I wish I had a mother, he thought, and I should like to have her hold me in her arms, just as that little boy's mother is holding him. I would tell her about this watch, and perhaps she would tell me how to get it back to the lady. Kid crept from under the seat and stood up, and coming towards him down the aisle was a man. Kid thought he wore a queer-looking costume, and he dodged back of the seat, but the man had seen him, and there was no use trying to run away. Besides that, Kid was not at all sure that he wished to get away. Is this your house? asked Kid when the man came up to him. No, my son, he replied. This is the house of God. Kid's heart leapt for joy. That was the name of the one the Salvation Army people told him about who loved everybody and helped you. If you please, said Kid, I should like to see him. The good man looked at Kid very earnestly, and then he said, If you will tell me what you wish to see him about, I am sure I can help you. Kid told him about the watch, and that he felt sure the lady lived here, as the baby in the picture was very much like the one in the watch. And if this is God's house, said Kid, I thought he might be the father and forgive me. I'm very sorry that I took it. The man took Kid by the hand. Come with me, he said. You are forgiven, I am sure. Kid was given a good supper, and for the first time in his life, he slept in a real bed. The next day, the good man found the owner of the watch, and when she heard Kid's story, she forgave him. Kid was placed in a school where he learned to be a good boy, as well as to be studious, and he soon forgot the old life. 
he grew to be a man of whom any mother could have been proud, but the only mother kid ever knew was the mother of the little boy in the picture, which he cherishes as a thing sacred in his life. <laughs>